In the last several weeks, we have covered in detail uh, verse chapter 49 of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 7. And we covered Reuben. Remember, no judge or no prophet ever came forth from Reuben. Uh, he, was, he was overshadowed by Gad. So here is, here is Reuben. Let me get my pointer here. My laser pointer. All right, so here is Reuben's territory. And he was overshadowed by Gad that was having much more success than he was. And he was getting overrun by Moab, the Moabites. And this is explained in 2 Kings 10, 32 and 33. And then also 1 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 31 and 32. In the census, there are two censuses taken in the book of Numbers. Two censuses. In the, in the first census... In Numbers chapter 1, he had 46,500 people. In Numbers chapter 26, the tribe had 43,730. So they, 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 uh, uh, they actually went down by a few thousand people over the book of Numbers from the beginning to the end. Now, there were many people dying in that 40 years, but uh, he still went down. What was interesting, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses prayed, let Reuben live. So he was praying that he did not want Reuben to not survive. He even questioned whether Reuben would survive. Uh, Reuben was not a blessed tribe because of what he had done. So you see that this carrying right on into his descendants. So Simeon, we see in Genesis chapter 49, verse 7, it says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Um, and so Simeon, actually, you can look at the difference between the two maps. He, they never really had their own territory. They lived among Judah. You can see the huge swath of territory that Judah had. This map says that, that the Philistines still lived in this area, so they didn't even give this to Judah. But um, uh, Simeon... Simeon, some maps put him in here. Others just say he was dispersed throughout Judah. They never really had their own territory. And you can see it. This guy, Jacob, was an amazing prophet. I mean, what he said really began to take place. And uh, uh, these things were, were really taking place. And as far as Levi, Levi had no particular city of his own. He had, there were 48 uh, no particular land of their own. You don't see any tribe of Levi here. Levi just had 48 cities. Now, Levi did a very good thing. Uh, Mike, am I doing okay? Okay. So Levi did a very good thing in that they sided with Moses in the sin of the golden calf. They got 48 cities. They never had their own territory. So again, the prophecy of Jacob was very clear. Uh <clears throat> Interestingly enough, Simeon uh, uh, went from 59,300 in the first census in the book of Numbers to 22,200. They had dropped to about one-third the population between the first census, the beginning of the 40 years, trek through the wilderness, to the end of the 40 years. Uh, they were involved in the sin of Baal Peor, which was uh, a sin of real immorality in Numbers chapter 25. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, Moses does not even include them in the blessing of the children of Israel. For some reason, he just totally excluded Simeon. And so 
uh, uh, you can see the prophecies of, of Jacob uh, really, really coming through. So it's interesting that uh, uh, you don't mess around with Jacob. His, his prophecies are, are really firm. Now let's start reading in Genesis chapter 49, reading from verse 8 about Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him? Who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and, un- and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vines. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Uh, this is pure blessing, pure blessing upon Judah. Judah, it says that he is going to be, his brothers are going to bow down to him. And you could see from that map that I had showed you, Judah consumes a huge swath of territory. <clears throat> it includes Jerusalem, that key city. It talks about how the scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is a prophecy that the kingship is going to arise from Judah, and that it did. The kingship arose from Judah. And then when we see the, the kings come in, the people cried out for a king. So it wasn't totally wrong for them to, cry, to want a king, because here it's prophesied that there is going to be, there is going to be that sort of leadership. But what was different is when they cried out, they wanted a king like the other lands had. And so God gave them a big, handsome king like the other lands had, but he was not of the tribe of Judah. What we see is in Jerusalem, the kings always in Jerusalem had to be of the descendants of David. Had to be. Anytime somebody tried to come in who was not a descendant of David, they died. And so, so when God took, took, uh, um, took King Saul out, David, and it was from his line. Now, there was a corruption in this line, so the line went through Solomon, Rehoboam, and all the way down to Jeconiah. Jeconiah terribly sinned against the Lord, and God said, no Messiah is coming from your line, and he cut it off there. He says, nobody of this line shall ever uh, become a king again. And so what he did is he went back up to Nathan. David had another son, Nathan, uh, uh, not Solomon, but Nathan, and through that line then he brought the Messiah. Uh, and we see as far as the kingdom of, of Israel, the northern kingdom, that was only by divine appointment. Kings only came in by divine appointment. And if somebody tried to usurp the throne, they were quickly killed. Uh, it was only by God's divine appointment that people came in in the northern kingdom. But we see that, that this, this is, uh, uh, this is uh, um, the path through which the Messiah would come. Now, what did Judah do that was so amazing? What is it that he did that was so amazing? And so if we look back in chapter 38, you look back in chapter 38, and it was an utter disaster. Judah's life was a train wreck. We covered this before. This period in chapter 38 is a period of 22 years. This is the entire period that, that, uh, um, that Joseph is in Egypt. So Joseph was in Egypt at the age of 17. At the age of 30, he appears before Pharaoh. That's 13 years. And then there was seven years of abundance in Egypt. That brings it to 20 years. And then there was two years of famine 
when they ended up going back into Egypt. Mike, is everybody with me on this? Are we doing okay? All right, good. And so, good, thank you. And so what happened is, is that uh, um, during this 22 year period, the Lord gives us a whole chapter on Judah. There is no mention of God. Judah has a, a mess, an absolute mess of a life. He ends up in verse two of chapter 38. He took a Canaanite wife. They weren't supposed to be mixing with the children of the land. He took a Canaanite wife, never even mentions her name. He has three children by her, three sons. They were wicked sons. The first one, Ur, was so bad that God killed him, uh, just outright killed him. It says uh, um, that, that um, in, in verse 7, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. I mean, this this is just... This is rare in the Bible like this to be as explicit as that. That was his firstborn. <clears throat> his second son, Onan, was supposed to raise up children in the name of his older brother. That was what was called the Leverite uh, 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 practice. Not the Levite, but the Leverite practice. He was supposed to, to bring one up in his brother's name, and he didn't do it. And so God took his life, too. These were not good sons. And then he keeps his third son from Tamar. His daughter-in-law plays the prostitute, commits incest with him, which wasn't as bad as we would view it from our culture because part of the Leverite vow was that a man could, on behalf of his son, raise up children through his daughter-in-law should his son die. So we view this as, as crazy, but but that was actually the practice of the land. So there are documents that show that that was, was the code of the land. You can see that in, the, in Hammurabi tablets. You can see that in other tablets. But in any case, she played the harlot and she was going to be killed for that. Um, uh, she was going to be killed because it was played the harlot. But it turns out that as she is she she is to come to judgment. Judah pronounces judgment on her in verse 24, and he says, let her be burned. She was going to be burned alive for this. Now, the Canaanite penalties were really fierce. If you want to learn more about that, you can see that in, in, uh, in when, you, when you read about Samson, and he dealt with the Canaanites of the land. I mean, their penalties were like Sharia law-like. I mean, they were really mean. And so they were going to burn this woman for this, and then he finds out that that's his own son that she's carrying. And so in verse 26 of the book of Genesis, verse Genesis chapter 38, 38, 26, it says, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not have relations with her again. And those two sons that are born to, to her, those two sons that are born to her, uh, uh, Perez and Zerah, they are sons that do eventually come into the land of Egypt with Jacob when the family goes. And it's through Perez the kingly line comes. That man's life was an utter disaster up to the point that he recognizes and he says, that woman, my daughter-in-law, who dressed up as a harlot and I slept with her, she was more righteous than I. When he got to the point where he realized that his life was a disaster and he wasn't righteous anymore, something happened in his life. When I'm sharing with people about the Lord, 
when I cannot convince them initially, when they don't realize that they are sinners in need of God's grace, I have to go back and start showing them other verses to bring them to the point of conviction. I cannot get a person to accept Jesus as Savior if they don't recognize that they are sinners themselves. This man at this point recognized that he was a sinner. Something changed in his life. This was the 22-year period, and then the Bible picks up and tells us about Joseph. So all those years that we learn about Joseph in the land of Egypt, that's the 22 years that all of this is happening in the life of Judah. Joseph is doing amazingly well. Judah is, is, is having this, this uh, dumpster fire of a life, but ends up turning around his life just before the time when they go back into Egypt to get food. Now, what did, what did Judah do that was really so amazing? So we pick up Judah again in chapter, in chapter 44. In chapter 44 of the book of Genesis, we pick up Judah again, and we see Judah. So this chapter 44 is where the brothers get accused of stealing the cup of Joseph. They are convicted. They come back and they are brought back. And Judah, it says in verse 14 of chapter 44, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there and they fell to the ground before him. Already Judah is the one to whom the other brothers are looking. The other brothers are no longer looking to Reuben as the senior. No, he lost all preeminence. Simeon and Levi, because of their sin, <clears throat> they, they put no regard in them either. But now where we are, is, is uh, they're looking to Judah. And we see Judah being a prominent person right here. Now it says, uh, <clears throat> it says, then in verse 16, so Judah, well, verse 15, Joseph said, what is this deed that you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, we and the one whose possession, the cup, has been found. Why is he doing this? Why is he so readily accepting this position? Why is he so readily accepting this position to say we are slaves? Well, because right up at the top, it says, it says in verse 9 of that same chapter, with whomever of your servants is found, let him die, and we will be my Lord's slaves. They didn't know that Benjamin, their little brother, was going to be the one found with it. And I don't think they believed that Benjamin took this thing. I mean, there were people putting money back in their sacks. This had been a total setup and they knew it. Verse 10. So now let it be also according to your words. He with whom is found shall be my slave <clears throat> and the rest of you shall be innocent. So Judah knew that, that, that Benjamin was going to now be a slave in Egypt. And Judah is now interceding, turning this whole thing around. And then he says, he says in verse 18, Then Judah approached him and said, O oh my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear, and do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. Judah is the one who pulls Joseph aside. Remember, Joseph is the number two man in all of Egypt. He pulls him aside. He pulls him aside and he says, Can I speak something in your ear? And he starts to recount what went on. He starts telling Joseph about his father, how all of this happened, how he says that I have become surety for my brother Benjamin. My life is surety for him. I have committed my life to protecting him. 
Uh, I stood with my brother uh, in protecting him. And uh, uh, he says, he says, he talks about this sort of thing. It, it turns out, we, I skipped this, but in chapter 43, he had told his father, let me be surety for my brother. You see him in chapter 43. Uh, Jacob does not want Benjamin to go into the land, but he's trying to speak sense into this old father of his. For those of you who take care of elderly people, you will understand this. You have to speak to them very gently. Sometimes they can get an idea in their mind and no, we're not going to. And you have to be able to reason with them. And that's exactly what Judah is doing in chapter 43 of Genesis. He's appealing to his father. He says, Father, if we don't bring Benjamin with us, we're not going to get any food. I will take care of Benjamin. If anything happens, I will... Excuse me, I will bear the guilt, not Benjamin. If anything happens, I'll bear the guilt, not Benjamin. He is exceeding, he is interceding on behalf of Benjamin. He is giving his life in Benjamin's stead. In chapter 44, he is actually appealing to Joseph, saying, Let me stay as a slave, let Benjamin go. And that's exactly what he says. He says in verse 32 of chapter 44 of Genesis, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad and and, uh, a slave to my Lord and let the lad go with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For fear that I see the evil that would be that would overtake my father. <clears throat> so you see, he's appealing on behalf of this young man, saying, "I will be a slave. Let him go. I can't go back and give this news to my father. I fear that my father would die when I tell him this news." Well, what does this do? This causes in chapter forty-five, verse one. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is what finally broke Joseph's charade. This is what finally did it. The appeal of this man. The appeal of this man to give his life. I got water right here. To give his life on behalf of another. To give his life on behalf of another. This is what he did. He interceded his life on behalf of another. And what did that get him? He had a train wreck of a life. He was in his early to mid-40s after those 22 years. In his early to mid-40s, his life turned around. How did it turn around? He gave his life for his brother. He appealed for his father's life. He says, I can't do anything to hurt my father. He goes from being totally self-centered. He had become a rich man. He had Canaanite friends. He had a Canaanite wife. He never raised his sons in the right way. He looked back over his life. He says, my life has been a disaster. Even my daughter-in-law is more righteous than me. His life turned around in giving his life for another. That turned around his life. I want you to look at a couple verses in the New Testament and see what Jesus has to say about this because it's quite telling <clears throat> what Jesus tells tells us. 
In chapter, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 17, we can ask the question, why did God, the Father, love Jesus so much? Well, I guess because it was, Jesus was his son, his only begotten son. Well, Jesus has another reason for that. Jesus tells us why his Father loves him so much. In John chapter 10, verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. The reason God loves his son Jesus is because Jesus lays down his life for others. And Jesus laid down his life knowing that that was not going to be the end, knowing that there was great reward, knowing that great reward was before him. He laid down his life knowing that there was a great reward coming to him. That's why his father loved him. So what does Jesus call us to? I want you to turn over a couple pages to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 24. John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. So what does Jesus say to his followers? He said of himself, my father loves me because I lay down my life and I know that that's not going to be the end. I'm going to take it right back up again. He says, if you want to, he says, if a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. So I've got some advice for you. If you feel that your life is not accomplishing things for the kingdom of God, let me give you some advice, please, from the word of God. You have got to die. You have got to die. You will remain by yourself alone. You have got to die to yourself. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. What did Paul say? Paul said, you overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. In in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says that. It says, don't be overcome by evil, but you're going to overcome evil by good. You will overcome evil by good. You do specific good acts. You will overcome evil. It is not just praying, Lord, Lord, help me to overcome evil. The Bible does not say... Just pray and you'll overcome evil. The Bible says specifically, you overcome evil by doing a good act. You do good acts. You overcome evil with good. Jesus says, you've got to die. You've got to die to yourself and you do some good acts. Let me give you some specific things on this. There was a guy in my research group, wonderful young man. He came to the Lord. He came to the Lord and... uh, Uh, I talked with him about the need for service to the Lord. He got involved with the English as a second language in my church. And right as he was getting involved, shortly after he got involved, COVID hit. And he started doing it online with English as a second language. He just blossomed through that. He got involved in service. He started doing 
something specifically for good. He started doing something. He got involved in Christian service. There are things that you can do even in this COVID period. You can call the elderly in your church. You ask the church for their phone number and you call them. If you don't have a local church, it's too bad you don't, you should have. But you could even contact me and you could call the elderly in my church. I'll get you some of their phone numbers. And you call them every day and you just encourage them. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Because a lot of these folks are just shut in in their home. There are things that you can be about. Why would I share this with you? Because I want the blessing of God in your life. That's what I want for you. What caused Judah to go from a dumpster fire of a life to the destruction by God of two of his sons because it was such a wicked family to a place where he was given the line of this tremendous blessing, preeminence and kingship line because he started giving his life on behalf of another and he started showing interest in his father's interest. He started showing interest in Jacob's welfare, in Jacob's well-being. He says, I can't do something that's going to hurt my father. I've got to be a slave. I will give myself in slavery for this young man, Benjamin. He gave himself on behalf of another. And it was on that basis, on that very basis, that he was given preeminence. I want the best that God has for you. Jesus wants the best that God has for you. And so he says to you, truly, truly, that means I can't get more emphatic. Jesus is taking his hands. Like when Shireen really wants my attention, she'll come and she put her hands on my cheeks and she, you know, and just makes sure my eyes are right there and gets my attention that way. That I can't be looking. When he says truly, truly, he's putting his hands on your cheeks. And he's saying, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. There are ways that you can serve. You can work with children in the church. You can, you can go and just... You don't have to even be a good teacher. They need kids in church to do. In my church, you know, they sit with kids and they practice their Awana verses with them. There are things that you can do online. But if you sit all by yourself and think that you're going to receive blessings just by prayer, the Bible disagrees with you. Jesus disagrees with you. The pattern we see is giving our lives for another, giving our time giving our service for another. You want to really exceed in your career? You will not exceed that well just by throwing yourself full-time into your career and nothing else, no other distraction. You will not. It's as you give your life to others, God blesses your career. Sometimes people will look at me and they think, why do you give so much time to students? Why do you do this and teach all this stuff? You don't understand. This is building my career as well. When I give my life for others, God blesses all sorts of areas in my life. If you don't die, you're going to remain by yourself alone. And you're always going to feel deficient in your Christian walk. 
It's as you serve and as you show interest in God's interest, in your father's interest. Jesus showed interest in his father's interest. In John chapter 17, verse 4, he says, says, I have glorified glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you have given me to do. John chapter 17, verse 4. He says, Father, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work that you have given me to do. His interest was to accomplish the father's desire for him. Judas' interest was to protect his father Jacob's interest. And that meant protecting Benjamin's interest as well. And that's what gave him preeminence after the disaster of a life. And it wasn't long from the time that he came to the revelation that I'm unrighteous. Others are much more righteous to me. It was probably within a year of that event that he is then exalted to this place where he's leading the charge and going into Egypt and standing and defending his brother. It can happen very quickly when you start showing interest in others. You can be tutoring, and there are tutoring things that you can do even through Zoom on the internet. You can be helping out other families. There are some families that are so distraught. How are they going to be able to do this home education, the Zoom education for their kids? If you're a college student, you can get online and you can help kids with their algebra because parents don't know algebra. But you can get there and help kids with their algebra. You can help kids with their homework. You can help them to go through things. There are things that you can be doing. And if you have no way of serving because you've not been knit in with the body of Christ, you can send me an email and I will align you with something. It may not be that you serve there forever, but you ought to serve there long enough to be a tremendous blessing to others and not just dip into it and dip right out like a swallow touching the water and coming right back up. You get involved in this thing and you learn to serve. You give your life on behalf of others and you will be blessed. Jesus says, without this, you will remain by yourself alone. It is quite emphatic. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercies on us. And I pray, Lord, for those here who have not thrown themselves into the service for the kingdom of God or to feel feel that it's too late for them or it's too early for them or they're too busy for this. Father, I pray that they would believe the words of Jesus, that they will remain by themselves alone. But if they give up their lives, they will be able to pick this thing back up and they will start seeing overcoming in their lives that they would overcome evil with good acts over and over and over again, that they would show interest in the kingdom of God, that they would show interest in your interests, Father. And Father, I pray also that you would take the unbelievers that are here and you would so work in their lives that you would draw them to Jesus. Father, those that are struggling, what are they going to do with their lives? How is this going to happen? Father, I pray that they would take hold of your word and that they would give me an opportunity to share with them. Lord, thank you for your word and the blessing of it. In the name of Jesus, amen. And while Shireen is coming, let me just say for the unbelievers, let me say that uh, uh, please send me an email, and I will gladly meet with you. 
I have nothing else to do this whole afternoon. I'm going to help Shireen get some meals ready, but after that, I have nothing else to do. So <clears throat> within an hour from that, she will relieve me of those duties and, and I'll have nothing else to do. So you send me an email and I'll meet with you today and you will get saved today. You will get saved today. You don't have to remain in your unsaved state. You will get saved today. And uh, just send me an email. The other thing is, let me, let me explain the difficulty I have with my throat. I used to be a boxer and I have a herniated stomach. So my stomach protrudes into my esophagus. And, and because of a reflux problem, it causes lots of trouble. So that's why I, I uh, Dr. Boyd, I had the water here the whole time. But water does very little to get rid of that. And uh, water just makes other people happy, but it doesn't solve my problem. And, and uh, uh, so I am on, I'm on uh, uh, several things to, to prevent that, to, to lessen that, but I can't stop it. And that's why when I start having that trouble, there's not much I can do with it except trust that, that this is the thorn in the flesh that I have that I will bear and I'll get through it. But, but, so I know many people long to help me with that, but now you understand what I'm going through. It's, it's the reflux that occurs because of this herniation that I have. And, and if I were to get an operation, they're, they're often not very successful and they don't last very long. So it's not an easy thing to solve. All right, I know my internet was having a little bit of trouble again, but in any case, um, drink aloe vera pulp juice available at Walmart. That does so much good for that. Okay, uh, Shireen, that's what I need. Come here, Shireen, talk to them. <clears throat> that way I can stop talking.